It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Napoleon Hill once said, Patience, persistence, and perspiration make an unbeatable combination for success. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback, your questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive Seeker Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the Seeker Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new Bible study notes, an easy-to-follow single page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible study tab on our homepage, and we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what are we talking about today? Well, Rick, our question is, do our prayers change God's mind? And our theme text is found in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Okay, so do our prayers change God's mind? One of the very basic tenets of Christianity is the belief that God does not change. We see him as omnipotent, above the fray, and the embodiment of clear vision and intention. As such, we believe that when God's plan has been put into motion, it is a universally unstoppable force. Now, enter the concept of prayer. Not only are we instructed to pray for and about things, we're shown several scriptural examples where prayer seems to have changed God's mind. How can this be? Why would we pray if God has already decided, and how is it even possible to change the mind of he who is unchangeable? So, coming up on today's podcast, it seems confusing. God tells us all about praying and says that he answers prayers, and yet his mind is unchangeable? In our second segment, we suggest, instead of asking why God seems so rash so often, we should be asking why God is giving us opportunities to speak up. For every good example we find, there's always a bad one. Can someone who runs from God really get their prayers answered, and is there a catch? Well, we deal with this in segment three. So if God is all-powerful and knows the beginning from the end, what good would our prayers be? Our fourth segment begins to reveal the tapestry of how God works with our requests. And finally, can my prayers actually change the outcome of an experience? And how would I know? In our last segment, we look at this question and we take it head on. Rick, there are answers to these questions, but as is usually the case, they are not found on the surface. The answers are rooted in the depth of scriptural meaning and provide profound biblical insight into the extraordinary character of God. And that's what we need to look for as we go through this podcast today. So, Jonathan, as we get started with this, we we have kind of a question that we're going to be bringing up every single segment, and it's about prayer. And the question is, is this prayer that we're talking about, is it a prayer to change God's mind 
or one that changes us to be mindful of God's character and power? And which is it? And each example of prayer we use, we're going to be framing it with that question. So one more time, the question, before you give us a context of our first story, is this story that we're going to tell a prayer to change God's mind, or is it one that changes us to be mindful of his character and his power? So what's our first story, Jonathan? What's the context? Well, Rick, our first story is about Abraham, and uh, he, he prays for Sodom, and Let's go back before that. Abram and Sarai, his wife, live with Lot, his nephew, in Haran. God made a covenant with Abram, and he told him to go to Canaan. Both of Abram and Lot's uh, herds grew so large they needed to split up. So Lot moved next door to Sodom and Gomorrah, and um, Abram went in a different direction. Uh, Abram changed. God changed Abram's name to Abraham and established the covenant of circumcision. Following that, um, this is where it gets interesting. Three messengers or angels were sent to Abraham to tell him first good news that he was going to have a son. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then bad news that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's kind of the background to our story. Okay, so... In Genesis, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 18 specifically and a little bit of 19 later on. Uh, Abraham is making a case as he prays before God about Sodom. And he's making a good case for not destroying Sodom. So, Jonathan, let's go into Genesis 18, 22 to 26. With all of that background in mind about God's leadings, here's where we want to focus. Then the angels turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous? So Abraham comes before God, and, and, and he's, he's, he's speaking to this messenger of God. So he's praying to God because this is the, 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 the mouthpiece of God, so to speak, here. And he's saying, God, but what if there's, there's, there's 50 righteous? You wouldn't, you wouldn't take the city away, would you? And so Abraham continues. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it for you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So not only does he ask God, he says, God, you can't do that because that's not <laughs> your character. And, you know, you got to give Abraham credit. Oh, yeah. He's standing there. and He's being bold and he's saying it doesn't make sense to me. So what's the response? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. So Abraham, you know, must be feeling, okay, good, made progress. Okay, you know, from a human standpoint, he's saying this, this is good. Abraham's argument centered itself, interestingly, on the greatness of God's justice and therefore the greatness of his mercy. That's how he appealed to God. Notice it wasn't about Abraham. It was about God. So now we're going to skip a few verses, and I know you're going to fill it in a little bit later. But Abraham, having established God's power, now actually starts bargaining with God because he wants to protect life. So let's go to Genesis 18, 29 to 32. He spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, 
Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose there are found there 30. Then he said, oh, don't be angry again. Uh, Suppose there are 20. Okay. So he's working his way down the list, you know, and so Abraham knows his place. He feels his insignificance before God, and he wants to protect life. And so he started with 50, and then he actually went down to 45. We skipped those verses. Then he goes down to 40. Then he goes down to 30. Then he goes down to, to 20 because he's insecure. But what if, it's, what if it's a few less than what I said? And then he thinks, oh, but what if it's a few less than what I said? So he's, he's, he's bargaining with God. What's the response? Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. So the mouthpiece of God with discussing with Abraham says, okay, if there's just ten righteous, the entire city will be spared. So Abraham returns home content with his understanding of God's mercy. And also, Rick, with the patience of God's towards him, yeah. <laughs> asking all those questions. <laughs> so, so he has a, he has a really a, a good sense of God's patience. And you know, when he got down to ten, he says, "Okay, this is the last time." You know, right. and he says, "Okay, what if there's just ten? And he's assured if there's just ten, the whole place is spared. Well, Rick, I love this example uh, for us uh, to understand God and how He reacts to a petition. I mean, we really see the mercy come through, and we also see the patience of our feebleness trying to communicate with God Almighty. Yeah, we're trying to talk on on higher levels than we're capable of, and God understands. We're children in his sight, and so he has that patience. His care for those who could be righteous would next be revealed in what actually happened, because we know there were not even 10 righteous in the city, okay? But here's something that we never think about in terms of the destruction of Sodom. Because the angels go there, they see how corrupt the place is, and now they're clearing Lot's family out. But here's a detail that often gets overlooked. Genesis 19, 12 to 14. Then the two angels said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law, and your sons, and your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent to us us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his son-in-law as to be jesting. So he goes to the sons-in-law and says, Hey, you guys got to get out of here. The city's going to be destroyed. And the response to him is, Oh, stop, you're making a joke. They didn't believe him. They weren't righteous. The angels asked the question, who else do you have here? So they're saying, who are the righteous that we may save them? There's this mercy on the part of God, and we always overlook that. So God not only said, if there's just 10 righteous, I will save the city, but he sought to pluck out every single individual who was righteous. So What's our proper prayer perspective based on looking at this particular account and the idea of changing God's mind? What God does with humanity depends upon what humanity does with God. This gives us opportunity for choice. Uh, and, and so, you know, it gives us an opportunity for, for choosing, but it also helps us to understand that in this case, 
God did not have to change his mind. He already knew. He allowed Abraham, though, to come before him and express himself. And he treated that expression with great respect. And that gives us a sense of the godliness of God's approach. Now, we know that those people in Sodom that were destroyed will be resurrected in the Day of Judgment because scriptures tell us so. And so we won't get into all of that now. It's not time. But the idea is Abraham went before God with a sincere request, and God listened. Abraham was a godly man, and God listened. So whether we see Abraham's actions toward God about Sodom as successful or not, they certainly were bold. Sodom is easy. God didn't change his mind. Does Moses convince God to change his mind in Exodus? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. This next example is much more difficult. It will show us God proclaiming to do one thing, and Moses seemingly talks him into doing another. Our focus here needs to be clearly based by making sure we are asking the right questions. As we will see, there is more to God's character than meets the eye. And Jonathan, just before we go to to our first soundbite, it is really important trying to understand prayer and God and our relationship and our role. If we don't ask the right questions, we won't get the right answers. And too many people look at the scriptures with that skeptical eye and say, yes, God is very flippant, especially in this next example we're going to show, and he does change his mind. Don't tell me his mind wasn't changed. Well, you've got to ask the right questions to understand the mind of God a little bit. And believe me, we don't get the mind of God in a big way. We get in a little tiny way. So, Rick, yes. I understand you have a guest appearance you wanted to mention. Oh, yeah. See, I was all rolling. And I forgot all about that. But thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. You know, we talked last week. Um, I had the opportunity to uh, be uh, a guest on a podcast called Accidental Hope. And, you know, the podcast Accidental Hope is dedicated to trauma from a faith perspective. Jennifer, the creator and host of uh, Accidental Hope, uh, actually was in an accident that caused uh, a death, and it was devastating for her, and it tore her life apart. And this podcast that she developed as a result is her way of contributing to others who've gone through the same kinds of trauma to find a godly way to find peace for things that are completely accidental and, and you know, you look back and say, if only, if only, if only. How do you cope with those things? So Jennifer and I have a conversation. It will be airing this Wednesday uh, at 2 o'clock Central. That's uh, 3 o'clock Eastern. And you can find it by Googling uh, Accidental Hope Podcast. Wonderful, wonderful podcast, and Jennifer does wonderful work. So, Jonathan, as we continue with our discussion on prayer, uh, first let's go to... A, a, a soundbite from the one-minute apologist, why should prayer, why should we pray if God already knows what I need? And that's a big question that a lot of people are always asking. If God already knows, what's the sense? This is an interesting perspective. 
I mean, the ultimate issue here is that prayer is not speaking to a God who has fatalistically determined everything that's going to happen in the future. No, what we do really matters. And prayer, therefore, really makes a difference. When we get up in the morning, wash our hands, it makes a difference. When we pray, it makes a difference. Again, God has ordained both the ends and the means. And therefore, the prayers that we pray really do make a difference. Okay, so the prayers that we pray make a difference. I, I like what he said. God is not fatalistically determined. In other words, the will of God is not this point on the horizon. It's much bigger than that. We'll expand that in a moment. Jonathan, we're going to talk about Exodus chapter 32. What happens just around the event that we're going to talk about? Well, Rick, we remember Moses, he led Israel out of bondage from Egypt by God's many miracles, destroying the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. God provides water for the Israelites. He provides manna. He provides quails. They defeated uh, Amalek's army. And I mean, all these dramatic things are taking place. And Moses talked to God on Mount Sinai. Everyone remembers that and received all of God's commandments. And the people said, we agree. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. And that leads us to Exodus 32. So Moses is pleading to God on behalf of Israel, on behalf of those people that you just said, committed to God that they will be obedient to what his will dictated. So, and here's the thing. As we look at this event, Instead of asking why God is so rash and needing to be calmed down, because it sounds, a lot of people present this event that we're going to talk about in that way, that God is rash and needs calming down, we should be asking why God is giving Moses an opportunity to speak up. Okay? I like that question. (laughs) Yeah, but you have to look at it the right way. Otherwise, you can't find the right answer. So, the event. The people of Israel make a golden calf. Uh, to lead them because Moses has not come down from the mountain. So God obviously knows what's happening, and he first reports to Moses what the people have done. We're dropping in on Exodus 32, verses 7 through 10. Let's do verses 7 and 8 uh, to get started. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. (laughs) This is not good, Jonathan. Oh, this is trouble. (laughs) Yeah, this is blatant idolatry, okay, on the heels of the Ten Commandments, okay? Mm. Blatant idolatry. And God says to Moses, your people. I heard that. (laughs) Who you brought brought. (laughs) out of Egypt. This is what your people are doing. And, you know, this idolatry, and God says, they, they should be destroyed for this, okay? Uh, verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an, an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that I may be angry and burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. So God says, I'm going to destroy them, okay? So you've got the people that... We know the story. God leads out of, out of Egypt, and God is angry, and he says, I'm going to destroy them. So 
let, let, let's kind of sum up what we've heard so far, because there's a lot, of, a lot of moving parts here, and then Moses is going to pray right after this. Well, the first, God told Moses that Moses' own people corrupted themselves and abandoned God right off the start. Yeah, and he's right. He's absolutely right. God is right in, his, in what he's telling Moses. What's next? God told Moses to let him be so his anger can burn, essentially saying, you are the only thing that can save them. See, now, notice the way it reads. Going back to verse 10 that you, you read, it says, now then, God is speaking, now then let me alone that my anger may burn against them that I may destroy them. So he's telling Moses, he's telling Moses, God Almighty is telling Moses, leave me alone, let me be that I might destroy them. That's telling Moses, if you don't let me be, there may be something else in, in the works here. <laughs> Why would he say that otherwise? You're right. Okay, you're right. so it, it's pretty simple. So w- what's the next point that God makes? Because, you know, he's, he's creating a bargain for Moses almost. God told Moses he would develop a new nation from Moses himself. He says, I will make of you a great nation. Look, forget them. I'll start over again with just you. Well, that's interesting because Moses could have said, oh, yeah, I'm number one. I'm the guy. Hey. Yeah. Hmm. What an idea. Yeah. And look at what they're doing and look at how insulting this is to our, our God. He could have gone down that road. You're oh, right. Yeah. Okay. What, what's our last point before we get to Moses' prayer? God gave Moses a great opportunity to stand faithfully as deliverer and servant of God himself. In other words, God gives Moses the floor and says, talk to me. That's what he's setting Moses up for. So here's Moses' prayer. And again, the question is, is this a prayer to change God's mind or one that changes us to be mindful of God's character and power? So Moses begins his prayer in Exodus 32, 11 to 14. He stands and honors God by voicing God's mighty power first. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Notice how he's saying, why does your anger burn against your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt? He is turning it right back to God. And what he's doing, Jonathan, this is, this is magnificent because Moses is saying, I know you said they're my people and I brought them out, but it's because of you that I could do anything. And so he's acknowledging the mighty power of God at the beginning of this prayer. Then verse 12. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intention, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? So now Moses is going and, and focusing on God's reputation. He's saying, look, why, why, why would you allow the Egyptians, whom you delivered this people from, to mock you? Why would you do that? So Moses is standing in protection of the people, but in protection of God Almighty. He's saying, they're your people. You brought them out. It's your reputation. And then Moses moves on, and he stands and honors God by voicing godly mercy. And again, this is in verses uh, 12, verse 12, the, the last part of verse 12. Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. And change your mind. Okay, let's pause so, it. So, <laughs> Moses is going to change God's mind, right? Um, no. <laughs> okay, no. All right. And, and again, we have to ask the right questions to get the right answers. The word change your mind literally means to sigh or to breathe strongly. So he's saying, 
to God, essentially, turn from your burning anger. Take a moment about doing your harm to your people. Okay? Take a break. Step back. Yeah. (laughs) So now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why would Moses be saying that to God Almighty? Okay, and, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a Good moment. Good question. So, so Moses stands and honors God next by voicing God's previous promises as entirely valid. Because remember, God said to Moses, hey, I'll start with a new, whole new promised people through you. But this is what Moses says, verses 13 and 14. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the land of which I have spoken will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. So what happened here? The Lord changed his mind. The Lord sighed, okay? Sighed, breathed strongly. But Mm -hmm. what he did is God gave Moses an opportunity. He said to him, leave me alone and I will destroy them. Essentially saying, if you don't, I will listen. So it wasn't God changing his mind. It was God changing the action because Moses stood up and actually mediated between God and the people. Oh, that is cool, Rick, because that reminds me of the incredible picture of Jesus as a mediator between God and mankind in the kingdom. So this is a perfect picture. It is, and and it's a powerful picture of Moses as a picture of Jesus standing between God and men and saying, I'm standing for them so that everything honors you. So it was all about honoring God. So it wasn't God changing his mind. It was God changing an action because Moses did what he was called out to do. He was called to lead. He was called to mediate. He was called to be God's representative for them. And it's showing Moses faithfulness to God. And God blesses that. He wasn't selfish at all. No. That's amazing. It, it, and it gives us a really strong sense of God in this example, not changing his mind, but giving Moses an opportunity to be part of the destiny of the nation of Israel. Big difference. Mm, nice. God knew the character of Moses. That's why he called him to such a, a, um, a standing. So Moses did his job as deliverer and faithful servant of God. He stood for God's character. So our proper prayer perspective from this particular story. Sometimes God sees fit to set intense tests before us and try to proclaim our faith. Our prayers and actions can and do alter events. This is not literally changing the mind of God at all. It is contributing to the actions he will take or allow. Prayer can change things. See, now, here's the important thing. It's not changing the mind of God. It's changing the actions that the mind of God, that, that will support the mind of God. We need to understand God's will is not this little dot on the horizon. Within God's will is free moral agency. We have the ability to make choices, and all of those choices can be within what the mind of God projects for us. And for Israel, this is a perfect example of him giving Moses opportunity to stand up and be the leader he was called to be. See, prayer can change things, okay? Um, You know, and and so Trish just handed me a note. Trish is my wife. She's sort of our program observer. So what if Moses said, okay, do that? Would God really have destroyed them? Uh, She says, I don't think so. 
<laughs> I think she's right. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. God understood the character of Moses. He knew beforehand. And that's why he told Moses what he told him. That's why he gave Moses the opportunity that he gave him. So he could stand up for the people because he knew undoubtedly that's the character of this man, this meek man that I chose. I chose him because he will follow me. He honors me. And so, you know, is it for me to say that God would have done it? Well, look, if Moses didn't stand up, I I think he probably would have done it because that's what he said. But he also knew that God, that, that Moses was who he was. And it's a really important part of understanding the mind of God. We don't change his mind, but we can contribute to the way things unfold. And I think that is what's happening in this very particular incident. And we'll, we'll expand more on this. God giving Moses such an opportunity and responsibility really shows us how serious God is about his people. Abraham and Moses seemed to confront God. What about someone who prayed while running from him? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible Study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? You know, when Jonah prayed to God from the fish's belly, it seemed to change God's mind. As we look at this example of prayer, we first need to notice the dramatic similarities in our stories thus far. While each one is about the destruction of unrighteous people, Jonah was not exactly being uh, helpful. (laughs) Not at this point. (laughs) He was actually exactly in the wrong place because of his own lack of, of, of obedience. So before we get into the story of Jonah, and there's actually two prayers we're going to discuss in that story. Let's go to another soundbite. And Jonathan, I know this is not going to be your favorite soundbite. It's not mine. No. But this is from, it's, it's from a place uh, called Answers in Insanity. And, you know, it's, it's an atheist who loves to mock Christianity and biblical thinking and reasoning. And so, you know, in the last segment, we talked about asking the right questions. This gentleman clearly is not listening to that kind of an approach. Okay, let's listen. And, he, and he's bringing up something that is very, very legitimately questioned by lots of people all the time in relation to prayer. How do you tell the difference between something happening because you prayed for it or because it was probably going to happen anyway? How do you know when prayer doesn't work? So, for example, you prayed that you would get this new dream job. You don't get the job. Did you not get the job because God heard your prayer but decided to deny your request? Or did God not hear the prayer at all, meaning that you didn't get the job simply because they just didn't want to hire you? When something you want to happen and you pray for doesn't happen, you'll say, well, that's just God's plan. But how about free will in this job scenario? Wouldn't God be interfering in someone's free will if he made it so that you got the job you wanted? If they weren't going to hire you, and God decided to answer your prayer by getting you the job, that means he influenced the hiring person to change their mind. So he's saying that means that God got in the way of that hiring person's free will, and of course the whole thing blows up. You know, and that's a very 
typical viewpoint of prayer. And and the whole thing is, yeah, you're trying to change God's mind and you're interfering with what you call as free moral agency. None of it works. Well, what we need to understand is that God's will, again, is not this, this little dot on the horizon. There's, there's a lot of conditions involved in it. God does not get involved in free will. And, you know, in the, in the case of looking for a job and you say, you know, Lord, this would be a wonderful job for me and I really want this job. Jonathan, when, you, when you're praying for that job, what, what's the way that you should pray for it? But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And, and Rick, we don't know if something that we desire would harm our spiritual growth right? or stifle it or, or take us off track. Uh, the Lord knows, and, and that's why we're counting on him to answer our prayers with our spirituality in mind. So, you know, it, it's not about God saying, yes, that's the dream job for Jonathan. It's about God saying, I will allow or, 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 or overrule or have my providence direct this or that to happen, which, yes. which means he's using the free moral will of individuals to your benefit, whether you get the job or not. Absolutely. Somebody who does not have faith, I know doesn't understand that, but when you look at the way a Christian lives their life, if they really truly are following in the footsteps of Jesus, and you see the peace with which they are able to accept things, and you put them next to others who just go through life, what you find, I think, through observation, of course I'm biased because I'm a Christian, I admit my own bias, but you see a different quality of life, an ability to, to, to accept and process versus complain and and um, uh, and 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 give backlash. It's it's a, it's a it's a completely different scenario. Well, Jonah was not in the accept and process mode here, Jonathan. A little bit of the the the, <laughs> the 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 context of the story of Jonah. Sure, Jonah. We all know the story. Jonah chose to pass on God's command, and he went on a ship in the opposite direction. Not wise. <laughs> so. God sent this great storm to the sea, and the ship was about to fall apart, and it seemed that all would soon perish. All the men, interesting enough, were praying to their gods uh, to be saved, and the captain found Jonah sleeping. The captain told him to pray so that this would, we wouldn't all perish, and Jonah told him, well, by the way, the storm is my fault uh, because I'm running from God, and <laughs> And Jonah said, you know, the only way to stop this storm, just pick me up and throw me overboard and, and you'll be fine. And eventually that's actually what happened. Um, and that's how he ended up being swallowed by this giant fish. Okay, so let, let, let's put the other details into place before we get into the prayer in the fish. So you filled in a lot of the story that will help these details to make sense. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship, and was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it and from to, to get away from the presence of the Lord. See, you can run, but you can't hide. And like you said, this life-threatening storm arises. Jonah confesses, and by the way, he says, and by the way, my God is the God who created the sea. <laughs> yeah, by the way. <laughs> yeah, by the way. And so he confesses he's running from God. And then verse 10. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? 
for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Okay, and they, you're right. They eventually throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by this great fish. How is that possible, we say? Well, the Lord prepared the fish so it would work, okay, for a very, very significant object lesson. He's thrown overboard, and he's inside the fish. Okay, now Jonah is the only one who can know this story, obviously, so he tells it afterwards. So he prays, and the question is, is this a prayer to change God's mind, or one that changes us to be mindful of God's character and power? And you will see in this prayer, he's not trying to change God's mind. He is changing himself to be mindful of God's character and power. We're going to touch on parts of the prayer. Jonah chapter 2, let's start with verse 4. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. So even though he says to God, I know I'm far from your sight, I still am going to look faithfully toward your temple. He's, his life is now slipping away, and that's shown to us in verses 7 through 9. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. So he is telling God, I'm dying here. I'm telling you, I will sacrifice to you, and I will do it with the voice of thanksgiving. He is very completely repentant in these moments inside the fish, and God delivers him. He actually delivers him. So what's the proper prayer perspective as we look at a quick look at Jonah's prayer? Well, Rick, deep and sincere repentance opens the door for opportunity to do God's will. God's mind did not change. He simply responded to a repentant sinner with grace. He didn't change his mind, but he allowed something else to happen. That is within the will of God. The mighty will of God gives us the ability for our free moral agency. So he's rescued. He's rescued by God. I mean, and says that the fish throws him up. <laughs> kind of gross. How pleasant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Onto the shore. And now he goes to Nineveh. And he goes and delivers the prophecy. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And then we're just going to skip 3 and go to verses 4 and 5. It's, and again, it almost sounds like the beginning of the book of Jonah exactly, except now you've got conviction. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Nineveh was a huge city, and the people took to the, to the prophesying of Jonah, and they repented. And the entire people fasted and prayed together. The people of Nineveh mightily repented with sackcloth and ashes, which was a way in those days to show absolute penitence and sorrow for the things that you had done. So this prayer that the people are offering, is this a prayer to change God's mind or one that changes us to be mindful of God's character and power? Now remember, Jonah's prophecy said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So were they trying to change God's mind or were they getting themselves in tune with God's mind and power? Jonah chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 shows us the attitude of the people as they're praying. Who knows? 
God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God relents. See, God relents, okay? And it's that same word where it's, it's to take, uh, to sigh, to breathe strongly. God stopped, observed, and responded. Now, why, why would he have sent a prophet there if he was just going to destroy him because of their sinful ways? Right. See, the prophet's presence was for the purpose of warning. That was the point of the prophet. Whenever prophets came on the scene for Israel, now, first of all, this was going to a, 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 a non-Jewish community here, but when a prophet came to Israel, it was because Israel was in trouble. So oh, God, yeah. God would always send a prophet to warn them. Well, this is no different. So it's not God changing his mind. God's saying, here's what's going to happen unless something else happens. Hey, Rick, you told me a story earlier, and I think it would fit in really well right here. Yeah, this is a parenting story. And um, from many, many, many years ago, and, uh, you know, kids will be kids. We, uh, we raised three of them, and, you know, sometimes kids' rooms are not clean, and you tell them to clean them, and they won't, and, you know, there's every excuse under the sun. So one day, I don't know why, I got this idea, and I said, okay, we've been talking to you about cleaning your room. You're not going to do it. So here's the thing. This room is not clean. All of your toys are going to be mine. Every single doll, every single truck, every single thing of your is going to be mine. So I'm going to go downstairs. And if I come back and your room's not clean, whatever's not put away is going to be mine. Now, when you're a father and you tell your kids and you tell them sternly, they're like, dad's going to take my toys. <laughs> he's going to take my toys. And the eyes get big and they get a little nervous and they run to put them away. <laughs> this is what God did. It's the same thing. He's saying, unless something changes, this is going to be the result. This is not God changing his mind. This is God changing things that happen as a result of his mind being focused on righteousness. There's a difference between the two. So God didn't change his mind here in Nineveh. He sent Jonah to warn them, and they listened. So what was prophesied did not have to happen. Now, interestingly, later on in history, Nineveh does get destroyed. Okay. Okay. And Jonah got a little weird after they yeah. weren't destroyed. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, he did. Uh, that's an old other part of the story. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, well, what's our proper prayer perspective for, for the story of Jonah with these two prayers? Well, to acknowledge God and repent in the midst of sin is to appeal to the very core of the mercy and justice of his character— this can change what God does. So what God does has movement. The mind of God does not. He executes his will in a variety of different ways. His will is not a tiny little dot on the horizon. His will takes in consideration the will of humankind, free moral agency, and what people do. What we do determines what God does with us. This is part of how he works with us. So no, we can't change his mind, but we can certainly affect what he actually does. Prayer is not about trying to change the mind of God. It's much more about tapping into the mind of God. What are the best ways we can set ourselves up to take advantage of the huge benefits of prayer? 
We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in convo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. You know, when you think about it, prayer is really based on two simple, though not easy, things. The first of these two things is faith. Our faith must have the strength to see God as above us and to see him as caring for us. Jesus' role in this is crucial. His ransom provided us as a necessary bridge to gain access to God. So his ransom was that bridge. It gives us access. If we don't have faith in that and faith in God, therefore, because of what Jesus did, we're, we're going to be missing the boat in terms of prayer. You're not going to have an opportunity to be involved in the actions that God does because you're going to be standing on the outside looking in. And, and Jonathan, before we get started again, just a quick note. Um, CQ Kids, we have a video, someone along the lines of, of today's podcast. It's called, Why Do We Pray If God Already Knows Our Thoughts? That's for kids. We just said we're going to take a deeper dive, but we want to take a little bit of a, a walk in the waiting pool first. <laughs> so why do we pray if God always know, already knows our thoughts? ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube for that kid's video. So, Jonathan, let's take a look now, go a little bit further. We've talked about three specific examples of prayer and explained how it's not changing God's mind, but it is affecting what God potentially does. God's role versus our role has to be clear if we're going to pray for access to influencing God's actions, and we can influence God's actions. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, is a wonderful example of putting our faith in the process that is supposed to be in place. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it unto another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. So God tells Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and watch. The potter's working on something, doesn't come out the way he wants it to, and he remakes it. That's just something the potter does. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, what a terrible thing. He's still got the clay. It's still workable. He wants it to come out the way he wants it to come out. So he's telling Jeremiah, watch what he does and learn. And then here's what God says to Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So it's interesting. He's saying, tell Israel that you are like the clay in this potter's hand with me. I am the potter, you are the clay. I can shape and fashion you as I wish. That's an important aspect of understanding our relationship, our prayer relationship with God. And Rick, aren't we considered spiritual Israel? Yes. And so taking this and looking at it and saying, yes, as Christians, we should be like clay in the potter's hand, be willing to be shaped and formed however he decides for us. That's the faith 
that the potter who has us as clay in his hands will fashion us appropriately and beautifully. If we have that faith, our prayers take on a whole new kind of meaning because we are working with God and not against him. So there's a very specific principle here, Jonathan. What is it? God can and will do what he wants to with humanity. So what does he want to do? (laughs) You know, and that's the big question. And, you know, we've looked at three examples so far that all showed us there's a there's a mercy to God if he sees the 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 uh, the the loyalty coming back to him and the recognition of sin there's a there's a wonderful mercy but there's much more than just mercy in God's character before we get into answering what does God want to do with us um, let's go to another soundbite this is interesting this is from Southern Seminary and it says does prayer actually change God's mind and he, in this section of his, of his little discussion, he's talking about Daniel praying over the 70-year prophecy that there would be, they would be exiled for 70 years. Listen to the observations here, because I think they're very, very uh, important. Or you think of in Daniel 9, uh, where he's reading uh, the prophet Jeremiah, and he knows that uh, 70 years will be the exile. He doesn't then say, well, that's part of God's sovereign plan. It's going to happen 70 years. I just might as well sit around and wait. Instead, knowing that very plan, he then takes that knowledge and he turns it to prayer in confession and petitioning that God would keep his promise that it would only last 70 years. Well, of course it's only going to last 70 years. But he prays and petitions God in light of the very plan, uh, the sovereign plan, the eternal plan of God that he knows from the prophet Jeremiah. You know, that's, that's a beautiful little tidbit from the story of Daniel. He knows it's going to be a long time. And he doesn't just sit back and say, well, might as well get used to here in Babylon. Things are cool. Got a long time. He is intensely praying to God that he and Israel can get their minds right so they can come back to him at the appropriate time. So it gives us a sense of wanting to fulfill our role in the hands of the potter. That's exactly what Daniel was doing, showing his subservience to the potter, saying, I understand, and God, let us be uh, clear in our devotion to you and you alone. It's a beautiful, beautiful concept in terms of how prayer should work. So what does God want to do? You know, you said we're we're like the clay in his hand. What does he want to do? He wants to bless us. (laughs) That's right. He wants to bless us. So let's go now to the book of James. Let's go to the New Testament. The following are several pieces that we're going to look at uh, one at a time. And again, the question we want to ask is the discussion of prayer in James. Is it a prayer to change God's mind or one that changes us to be mindful of God's character and power? We keep asking this question, Jonathan, because we need to understand that the answer is always any prayer is for us to change our minds to be mindful of God's character and power. We are not in line to change his mind. We want to be in line with his character and power, and we need to grow up into that so he can look down from his lofty strength and say, I recognize and acknowledge you. James 5, 13 to 16. Is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church 
and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who was sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And he has, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So we're going to take this, this verse apart piece by piece as we go through the rest of the podcast. But Jonathan, just, just give us the, the, the sort of the context overview here. Rick, th- this is a serious matter, um, the context of this. Those who quench the spirit of holiness or grieve the spirit can and are spiritually sick. It could even get to the point of being almost cut off from fellowship with God. But in James, he is saying they have a one last resort before it's too late to ask for help from their spiritual leaders, to pray for them with a prayer of faith, to forgive their sins and sicknesses, and to once again have a re-standing uh, with God. You know, and, and that's such an important thing. So that gets us started, and then we get into James five thirteen through 16. So now we want to take it piece by piece. But, you know, I just want to mention in verse 15, and we're going to get to this uh, next segment, but it says, the prayer offered in faith. Remember we said prayer, true prayer, is based on two simple things. The first is faith. If you don't have faith, the prayer is not going to be uh, viable because that's what you need to be able to reach up. So in James 5.13, how does 5.13 start? Is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. Okay. Is any among you suffering? Now, a lot of times Christians look at these verses and they think about this in terms of actual physical sickness. Faith makes us look up. And here, James is getting into the concept and the discussion of prayer. He says, any among you suffering? What does that word suffering actually mean? It means to undergo hardship. Okay. Another verse that uses that word suffering is 2 Timothy 4, 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So, And Rick, that word aff- afflictions is the same word for suffering. Right. So it, we're talking about enduring, undergoing difficulty, trial, being tested. So by the very use of the word suffering, we see it's about trials of faith, not about being sick, but a trial of faith. Is any among you undergoing a difficult trial of faith? Well, what are you supposed to do? Pray. That's what you're supposed to do. Pray. You've got faith. You're being tested. You need to pray. Faith requires hardship and prayer to be two interlocking pieces of a true Christian's life experience. Realize that hardship is going to come. Prayer then has to interlock with hardship so our life can have the opportunity to grow into maturity and to grow into recognizing the character of God and the power of God in our lives rather than trying to change God's mind. If you're suffering, suffering hardship, you pray. What's the latter part of James 5.13 say? Is any cheerful? He is to sing praises. Okay, faith-based praise is a form of prayer. Absolutely. And Jonathan, you are great at this. I I always admire you because you always have a song in your heart. (laughs) You do, and that is a great example of faith-based praise, which is prayer. How do we get there? Colossians 3, 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Okay, choose what's going to rule in your heart. 
Is the turmoil of life going to rule in your heart? Or is the peace of God? It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Verse 16. And before we do, and let that peace make you thankful. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. the, there is the result. Because like you said, praise, thankfulness is a prayer yeah. to God. So it's beautiful. Okay, on to 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Okay, let. Choose again. Whose words are going to guide you? The word, words of the world, the flesh, and the devil? Yeah, not so good. No, no, no. <laughs> or the words of Christ? Choose the words that will guide you. And then the verse continues. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You know, and it's interesting. This is, you don't get even a sense of trying to change God's mind here, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you get a sense of being full of honor and praise and reverence. And, you know, when you're, when you're suffering in hardship, you're asking for help. It's not a matter of saying, God, do this. I want you to do that. It's a matter of saying, God, let me be acquiescent to your will. Give me the strength to hold up under these difficult things. So faith is critically important for a prayer to actually be, to go up and to be heard and to be effective, as we'll see much more in the, in the next segment. What's our proper prayer perspective for this segment? Faithful prayer for ourselves is important when under the pressure of trial and in the times of praise. We need to have Jesus, nevertheless, attitude as our own overriding attitude. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, his prayer, and, and when I hear that word, nevertheless, Jonathan, it only means one thing to me. It always, when I hear that word, means acquiesce. Acquiesce to the will of God. Jesus in the Garden said, I'm going to go through these things. If it's possible, remove some of these things from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That is the key to engaging God's overruling hand in our lives. And in Jesus' case, the answer is no, I'm not removing anything. And Jesus embraced that answer and was faithful because of that answer. So it's a powerful, powerful perspective that we need to have for prayer. Here is one of the few items in Scripture that we see an appropriate focus on me. I need to pray for me. How do we practically and properly Access God's will and affect his actions on behalf of... If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. While faith is the real foundation of prayer, perspective is the house that we live in. We must learn to see that our role in praying for ourselves or anyone else is always subject to the mind of God, but that does not limit the power of our prayers to influence what God will do or permit. And again, Jonathan, I want to make this point abundantly clear. That when we pray, it is not about changing the mind of God, but we do have access to how he carries out his will. We do. 
So prayer can change things. And we're going to see that as we go through James in this final segment. But we need to understand very clearly as we start to go through it, prayer is a tool that is meant for us to grow up toward God and not for God to change, to acquiesce to what we want. He will give us providence that can change things because we pray. And that's a wonderful thought. So again, as we look at James, and we're, now we're going to be talking about praying for others. And the, the question we have to ask, are we trying to pray a prayer that's going to change God's mind? We shouldn't be doing that. Or one that changes us to be mindful of God's character and power. Now that's where we need to live. So let's continue James 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And Rick, the word oil there in James is a symbolic for the Holy Spirit. And in this case, they were very low on it, almost to the point of having none in them. And we understand the Holy Spirit to be God's power and influence working within us. And, you know, it's so important to realize that there's a whole equation of being a Christian summed up in this verse. If any among you is sick, and again, first of all, before we get into discussing that, it says if any among you is sick, what does that word sick actually mean? Well, Rick, it means to be feeble in any sense. Okay, and just another use of that word is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Rick, that word there, weak, means to be feeble. So it's not about being physically sick. It's not about having the flu or pneumonia or cancer. It's about weak, and and the apostle describes it, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses. These are the things that can make us weak, feeble, spiritually feeble. And like you said, sometimes we may get into positions in our lives where we are not relying on the Spirit, and and we need to re-find that. Yes. So that's what this verse is about, praying for others. So the word here, uh, the word, look, is in other places used to depict physical illness, no question about it, as well as spiritual weakness. In the epistles, it's most often used as spiritual weakness. So we should ask for strength, not miracles. And I like that. Say that one again. We should ask for strength, not miracles. Because what we want is to develop the way the apostle Paul developed. And he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. So he's not asking for all of these distresses and things to be removed. He's asking for God's strength and providence to carry him through. Big difference between the two. And Rick, if we always pray that the Lord's will be done, whether for us or for others, then we would never expect to change God's mind, right? Because his way, his time is the best. Right. Now, here's the question I have. Okay, you say if we always pray God's will be done. Do we mean it? Or are we just saying the words? Good point. Are we saying, Lord, I, you know, let your will be done, but I really would like X, Y, and Z to happen. And we look forward to X, Y, and Z happening because we prayed for it. And, you know, then we start to get disappointed when we don't see X, Y, and Z happening because we prayed for it. And God said, you know, whatever we ask in the name of Jesus, he will do. And, and you know, and, and well, what about that? Well, what about the, and let the Lord's will be done? 
See, sometimes I think we use that just to sort of as the as the the key to get in the door, and then we throw the key away. And it's like, no, 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 no. We have that is much more than a key. That's a way of life. Just look at what Jesus did. Just look at how Jesus lived. So when we pray, let the Lord's will be done, we had better mean it. See, because otherwise, Jonathan, we're trying to change his mind. Ah, exactly. And we can't do that. We can't do that. It's not our prerogative. Humility is uh, one of the parts um, of the one who's spiritually sick, and it's a sure sign that their hope is still alive. Okay, So if you've got humility on the part of that spiritually sick person, you get a sense that, okay, there's hope here. And the fact that they're asking for prayers and, and, and submitting themselves, this is great hope in great tragedy, but there's great hope. James 5, 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who was sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. It has to be that prayer offered in faith. And it says, you know, uh, and the one who is sick. What does the word sick mean here? To toil, that is by implication, to tire. Okay, to toil or to tire. Again, it's not about physical illness. How about that scripture? Don't be weary in well-doing. Yeah. Don't tire with your spiritual example. Yeah, as a matter of fact, another use of this word for tires is Hebrews 12, 3, and that fits very much along the lines of what you just said. For consider how that him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So unless you get tired, Jonathan, it's, we're human. We get tired physically, and sometimes we get tired spiritually. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, but we're all human. We're, we're weak at times. Yeah, and you know, in, in my own experience, I have, I've come across that much more than I'd like to admit. Okay, and it's just something that we need to be able to focus on and say, okay, we're tired and let's put it in order and let's rebuild the foundation because it's all there. And when you have others helping you along the way, it really, really can go a long way. Absolutely. So prayer for others can alter circumstances. Let's let's be clear, okay? The feebleness here in these verses in James 5 is not in the category of just having a bad day. And you were saying this before, you know, being kind of like almost running out of gas, you know, in relation to the Holy Spirit. Right. It's a deep symptom of a spiritual life turned fleshly that requires much more than just a, oh, oh brothers and sisters, please pray, pray for me. You know, we say that a lot, don't we? Yeah. But do we really mean it? I mean, again, folks, let's, let's look at this and understand the power of prayer and the power of God's mind already being set, but the power that we have to work with the circumstances. And Rick, this feeble and tired condition requires intervention. That's how desperate um, we are in this James uh, application. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting. Trish just dropped me off a, another question here. You know, we're talking about the prayer. We'll restore it. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up and so forth. And she says, okay, so if we beg and plead and cried long enough to God, will he give us what we want, even if he knows it's not a good idea? And the answer is, not necessarily. Well, you just said James says the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who's sick. Okay. From what? From the spiritual exhaustion. It's not about praying for what you want. It's about restoring spiritual maturity. That's what this is. Okay? Let's not mistake, hey, I want to have this, or I want to be that, or I want to feel this. 
It's about, I want to grow in Christ and be able to walk the Christian walk the way I should be walking to please God. That's If, if that's what you want, pray for it long enough and, and live that desire long enough, and yes, that will happen. But let's not mix that up, because otherwise, Jonathan, we're trying to change God's mind. Right. And that's not our jurisdiction. No. What's our proper prayer perspective here? Knowing that God's will is unquestioned is paramount. Also knowing that we, in our faithful prayers, can influence how his will is accomplished is priceless. We can influence how God's will is accomplished. And, and you know, Jonathan, just, 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 just a, a quick example. You know, we were talking about this earlier today. You know, we, we believe that it's God's will for us to do this podcast. Yes, we have been shown again and again and again and again in all kinds of ways God's overruling providence for us to be here doing this. You got it. It's God's will for us to pick biblical topics. Mm-hmm. Now, is it God's will for me to specifically bring this point up at this exact moment in this exact podcast and you to respond exactly the way you're responding? Well, free moral agency it- I don't know. I don't think so. I think he gives us liberty to use our spirituality the best way we can, even if we fumble along the way. And exactly, exactly right. So we're accomplishing what we believe to be God's will in the best way that we can, and that includes falling down and having to get up again. Yes. And that's okay. God's will, his mind is set on the direction. He gives us latitude as to the lefts and rights that we sometimes take as long as we stay within his direction. That's the key. Now we get to that final verse, um, James five sixteen, the end of, five, of 16. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. This is a powerful verse. The word for effect, effective prayer in the King James, King James Version, it says the effectual fervent prayer. What does that word actually mean? Well, in the Greek, it's so cool. It's energio. <laughs> I mean, energy, you know, I love it. To be active, efficient. Um, also, a definition to be operative, be at work, put forth power. Another is to work for one, aid one. So in other words, to be really, truly engaged, not lip service, but right. active service. So prayer yes. is not just words on behalf of someone else. It's action on behalf of someone else by going to God in a very strong and, 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 and essentially, and it sounds odd, bold and humble way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but there, there's an important combination here. So no matter what the circumstance, if we're strong, if we're cheerful or spiritually ill uh, or learning day by day, prayer can be the most powerful resource in our fighting the good fight of faith. James, the, that James 5.16 scripture from the Rotherham translation sp- says it kind of in an interesting way. Much availeth the supplication of a righteous man when it is energized. When it's energized. So what does it mean to pray an energized prayer? Remember we said the prayer, that there's, there's two really important things. There was the faith base and the perspective base. If we don't pray in true, honest-to-goodness faith, not lip service faith, but honest-to-goodness faith, and have that perspective of wanting to be fitting within the will of God, so we can have an effect on the how the will of God uh, is accomplished, that's, that's a prayer that's got energy. Because it's telling God, just like Moses. 
Moses told God exactly what he needed to tell God. You know, Moses stood righteously to honor and praise God and for the sake of the people. It wasn't about Moses. And God blessed him for that. That's a great template for us. So when we see all of this, John 14, verses 13 to 15, is a lot easier to put into perspective. These are the words of Jesus. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you're asking me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, you know, this is one of those verses. Ask, ask in my name and I will do it. And then we stop. We stop right there because now we think, oh, I can change the mind of God because I can dictate to him what I want. Finish the verse, okay? So that my father may be glorified in the son. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that God's going to give you anything you want so God's name can be in lights. That's not it. What it means is ask anything in Jesus' name, meaning I am wanting to serve God the way Jesus did, meaning I'm only willing and wanting to do what God wants me to do, not what I want me to do. Whole different story, isn't it? It is. Okay. Hey, the the value of prayer, it just made me think of the armor of God. After all the pieces are described to protect your your Christ-like character, what is the last ingredient that we're told to do? Yeah, it's to pray. Exactly. Yeah. It, 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 it finishes off everything else. That's how valuable it is in the armor. And our prayers need to be in the context of the will of God. And he gives us the ability to help direct the way of God. The will of God is set. The ways of God have movement. And when we pray for others and we prayerfully approach our lives, we can actually help to direct the ways his will is accomplished. That's a wonderful, wonderful place to live, Jonathan. It is. Just got to get rid of yourself, though. Just got to get rid of yourself. So what's our final proper prayer perspective? We should ask in prayer, knowing the Father will give us answers that are appropriate for our eternal welfare. Our asking needs faith perspective, and reverence. That's the bottom line. Asking in prayer, knowing the Father will give us answers that are appropriate for our eternal welfare and the eternal welfare of those whom we pray for. And you know, finally, the verse in Hebrews 4.16, therefore, let's draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Accessing the grace of God is working within the will of God. The grace of God opens the door for the opportunity to be able to contribute to the ways of God. You work within God's will and you contribute toward his ways. That is how prayer should work. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we truly hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It's a, it's a thrilling, thrilling opportunity anytime we get to talk about communing with the Heavenly Father, let's make sure that we do it with a reverent and respectful attitude. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. 
Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions and iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, coming up next week, we'll be talking about how do you handle being uprooted in your life? You don't want to miss that one. Talk to you next week.